If you were not here last week and you've not heard that message, I want to encourage you to you know, go to our church website or you, know, you can search for it in, uh, in iTunes. And, and he, he talked about where is God in evil, suffering, and hurricanes. Now, it's, cri- it's critically important that you have the proper perspective about life. There's something that's called a, a worldview. And a worldview is, is so important because, you know, there's some questions that, that we may not be able to answer or, or, or explain or even to communicate. But when you look through the lens of self and you see what's going on, how many of you have heard somebody say uh, to you, if, he said, if God was a good God, then, you know, he wouldn't allow all this stuff to happen, you know. People struggle with pain and suffering and, and, and nobody enjoys it. But, you know, God's answer to a suffering world is a suffering Savior. You know, he knows what it's like to, to go through suffering. You know, uh, we're all familiar with, uh, with Osama bin Laden. And, and the difference between somebody like Osama bin Laden and uh, Saddam Hussein is Saddam Hussein was a mean, cruel dictator who punished and killed and, 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 and caused so much suffering on his own people. But you know, he was a, a corrupt, ruthless, horrible dictator. Osama bin Laden, he was a man on a mission from what he would say was from God. He was extremely sincere. But the problem, I believe, with, with the Islamic uh, religion and the way that they view God is that they view God as an angry God that wants to be violent. He wants to be uh, uh, aggressive. He wants to be uh, punishing. And listen, it's important for you to be able to see God in the light of who he is. And so I thought Clay did a great job of trying to explain that. And, and this morning, what I want to talk about is I want to build upon that uh, and, and kind of look at it from a different angle. And I want to talk about handling hurricanes. If you'll turn over to Acts chapter number 27, we're going to read a, a few verses here. We're going to talk about handling hurricanes. How can we stay calm in crisis? You know, the thing I love about the Bible is that you can absolutely learn something from every single page that's in the book that will be beneficial and useful for you and for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I read some of the stories in the Bible, and I'm thinking, why in the world would he put that in the Bible? What does that really have to do with, 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 with anything? But the Bible says that all Scripture is inspired by God. And he says it's profitable, it's beneficial, it's useful for instruction in righteousness and in doctrine and reproof and correction. And then it says, here's the, here's the last part it says in verse 17. It says that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped and prepared for every good work. So we're going to look at a story in the Bible that, that was included in the inspiration of Scripture that I believe speaks to us on how to handle crisis. Now, in this story, there'll be two different kinds of people. There will be the the sailors, the people that are on this boat, and we'll read just in a second, that's on this boat, and and all of a sudden, a a hurricane 
comes and, and the boat begins to crash and is tossed to and fro. And, and you're going to be able to see the reaction of these men who were not uh, amateur sailors. They were experienced sailors, experts, captains. And then you're going to be able to look at, and we'll look at that just in a moment, how that Paul handled the crisis that he was in. Now, Paul didn't do anything to get put into the mess Paul didn't do anything that, uh, that, that would create or cause the whole people that are in the boat to be in the condition that they're in. As a matter of fact, Paul tried to persuade them not to sail on this journey. But nevertheless, they've done their own thing. But in the midst of the storm, there's some things that I believe are very, very important. Because if you're not going through a storm right now... You may start going through a storm tomorrow or next week or next month or months from now. And you're going to need to know how to handle yourself and how to stay calm in the midst of crisis. I believe that, that as we approach the coming of the Lord, as, as we see the, the, the return of Jesus, that according to Scripture in, in Matthew 24, that, that there's going to be earthquakes and famines and pestilences in, 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 in various places. And the Scripture says that those natural disasters are going to intensify in strength and they're going to become more and more frequent in our world. But this is what I think that the church really and truly needs to understand about these natural disasters. I believe that the harvest is connected to the crisis. You understand what I'm saying? You know, there's going to be a time when the world is going to be so afraid of the things that are going to come upon the earth. But when they look at the child of God, the man of God, the woman of God, the, 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 the disciple that's following Jesus, they're going to look at them and say, how can you have so much peace? How do you hold it together? Why don't you have any fear about what's happening? And I believe that it's going to be one of the greatest drawing cards as we approach the end of this age. And so being able to handle things properly is very, very important. And so we're going to look at this and we're going to talk about it in Acts 27, verse, starting verse number 13. If you're there, say amen. When a gentle south wind began to blow, we'll read this out of the NIV, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed the anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So, you know, there's turbulent waters that they're going through here. What, what's happening right now is that they're in the middle of a hurricane in a boat. Now, listen to what it says next. It says, the ship caught, was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. Now, that's, that's an important thing that we need to look at. As we passed to the lee of the small island of Cauda, we were hardly able to make the light boats secure. So the men hoisted them abroad, aboard. Then they passed ropes underneath the ship itself to hold it together. In other words, you know, the thing is so violent. The wind is blowing so, so hard and the storms and the waves are crashing so bad that they were afraid that the boat was just going to just disintegrate and, and, and just begin to fall apart. 
And so they passed the ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbar. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard. In other words, panic has set in. They're afraid that the ship is going to sink. And out of the panic, they make some very, very bad decisions. And they start throwing things overboard that will be very, very useful to them in the future, but they throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither the sun or the stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. Listen to this. This is how dire and desperate the situation was. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. In other words, every one of them on there thought that they were going to die because of the storm that was raging against them. Now listen to this. They, they, they freak out again, and they start doing some crazy stuff because they make bad decisions. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this loss and damage, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship is going to be destroyed. Now, how does he know this? Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong, whom I serve, stood by me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as it was told to me. Let's pray. Lord, I believe that you've given me something to share this morning that is going to speak to the hearts of those that are here. Lord, under the sound of my voice are people that have been going through turbulent times in their life, in their marriage, in their family, on the workplace, in their health. Things have happened and, and, and they're in the midst of something that they've never experienced before. But Lord, I believe that you have a word to speak to us that will calm our hearts and our minds and that Lord, you would prepare us for whatever lies ahead because Lord, you will never leave us nor forsake us. So Lord, bless your word this morning. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you know, I begin by talking about how that everything in the Bible, every page in the Bible contains things that would be profitable, beneficial, and useful for us because it's been inspired by God. You know, in another verse of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, or 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says that all of these things were given to us as examples. In other words, there are instructions, there are testimonies, there are, 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 are examples, or there, there's illustrations, there's things that happen that's written in the Word of God that if we can take note and glean from that, it will prepare us for whatever it is that we're going to have to go through in the future. He said that, that all Scripture has been inspired by God. And he said that it's profitable, useful, beneficial, that we may be fully equipped. 
that we might be prepared for anything and everything that, that comes our way. And so when I read Acts chapter 27, you know, I have to ask myself, what do these events or this event that's happening here in this text have to do with me, this church, Manchester, Kentucky, or basically anything at all? Isn't it just an old book that has become irrelevant? You know, people don't don't sail the way that they sail back in these days. But I believe that these verses of scriptures that we just read, that they teach us how to remain calm in the midst of crisis. And here's the truth. Most people are not prepared when crisis comes. Now, this is important for you to get. And because most people are not prepared... When the crisis comes, they tend to respond negatively and actually end up making things far worse than they would if they would have just held it together. Do you understand what I'm saying? People that are not prepared, they, they panic. They freak out. Most of the time, they will overreact. And listen, if you allow your emotions or the circumstances going on around you to, to dictate the way that you act and walk and talk, and if you allow those things to consume you, you will begin to fall and begin to sink farther and farther and farther down as the thing continues to, to happen. But what I believe God wants us to do, or what he's given me to share this morning, is that God wants us to bring us to a place of maturity where we're able to reap the positive benefits of a negative experience. Because we, we read in Matthew chapter number 7, Jesus talks about the house bit on the rock and the house bit on the sand. He said, he who hears my words and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And what happened after that? The rains came. The floods came and the winds blew and it stood the storm, the test of the storm, right? He said, he who does hear my words but does not do them, he is like a foolish man that put his or built his house on the sand and when the rains came and the floods came and the winds came, the Bible says there was a catastrophic loss. It says, great was the fall of it. So when we look at this, the point I want to make and what I want you to understand is that regardless if you have built your house on the rock, if you have a firm foundation, just because you have built your house on the rock doesn't make you immune to the storm. Just because that you have a strength, you have a firm foundation. You can stand. You, you know what you believe and why you believe it. It doesn't make you immune to the storm. Because the storm came on the house built on the rock. The storm came on the house built on the sand. And the purpose of the storm was to reveal the foundation. And so when we talk about being able to stand, when we talk about being able to, to overcome and persevere through the storms, we have to understand something, that sometimes God will calm the storm, and sometimes God will calm his children in the midst of the storm. Sometimes God will just say, peace, be still, and, and the storm will be gone. And sometimes he just lets you know that he's with you and he brings you to a place of peace that even though things are falling apart, things are difficult, things are overwhelming, that he's with you and it will bring you to a place of, of peace. Amen? 
So here's what I want to do. I want to do two things this morning, if you got your outline. I want to share two things uh, in the story that relate to staying calm in the midst of the crisis. The first thing I want to look at is how storms tend to affect our lives. How storms tend to affect our lives. The first thing that a storm causes or tends to cause in a person's life is it causes them to drift. And we see this in the scripture here in verses 14 and 15. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. What, what, what's that saying? It's saying that when you get caught in a storm, regardless of how nice your boat is, if you're not prepared, the wind, the elements, the waves will cause you to drift. It will cause you to drag. And you become uh, at the mercy of all of the elements and the things that are going on around you. People that are not prepared, People that don't have a strong foundation, people that do not have a proper form of, of reference or point of view in which they can filter through these storms and say, God's with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He's a present help in time of trouble. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. If God be for me, who can be against me? But it has to be more than just theological knowledge. Because, listen... I don't care how theologically sound and strong you are, there will come a time in your life when a massive, horrible storm will come into your life and it will challenge everything that you believe, what you believe about God, what you believe about the Bible, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about the church. Because listen, the storm is going to come and it's going to come against those that are built on the sand and on the rock. And if you do not, and if you're not prepared, what will end up happening is you'll start to drift. Now, now why is drifting a bad thing? Now, when you start drifting, the danger of drifting is that you are at the mercy of the circumstances that are going on around you. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, you get so consumed with what you're going through, your mind is no longer on God. You know, you don't even think about God. You can't even pray at times. You understand what I'm saying? You, you are so overwhelmed emotionally, mentally, physically. You are drained and you become weaker and weaker and weaker. And, and so the danger of drifting is that you become at the mercy of the circumstances. And not only that, not only do you, are you at the mercy of the circumstances, you are also at the mercy of the current. Now, how many of you have been to the ocean? Have you ever played out in the ocean when, when you were younger and you don't, you don't feel like you're that far off, right? And, and, and then, you know, you're out there, you're, you're just having fun in the water and, and maybe 15 minutes later, your hotel is way back this way when you actually thought that you were right in front of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
You know, drifting is dangerous. And so when you're not prepared, you know, you're not just at the mercy of the, the, the elements or, or the circumstances. You're at the mercy of the current. And what happens when you're at the mercy of the current, it pulls you farther and farther and farther away. Listen, listen to this. Here's my point. No one ever drifts toward God. They always drift away from God. Are you with me? That's why backsliding is such an easy thing to do. All you have to do in backsliding is nothing. Stop reading your Bible. Stop praying. Stop coming to church. Being inconsistent. It's easy to do. It's easy. Drifting leads to backsliding. Now, I want you to listen to this. It's possible for you to backslide... And not even know. That's a dangerous thing. I mean, there's a lot of people that, that, that I personally believe that, that think that they are right with God. But in all reality, they're, they're, they're not right with God. They're trusting in something else other than what Jesus Christ. You know, they don't have an up-to-date relationship. You know what? They don't have a, a prayer life. They don't have a devotional life. They just basically live from Sunday morning to Sunday morning. I don't think there'll be Sunday morning Christians in, in heaven. I don't even believe in Sunday morning Christians. And, and so, listen, you will slide and start to drift. You become at the mercy of the elements. And then the current will begin to take you farther and farther away from where your safety is. And that's what happens. The devil singles you out. For the purpose of attacking you. You know, I like what Brother Rick says, Rick Clendenin. He said, it's the banana that leaves the bunch that gets peeled. You need each other. I need you. And whenever you start thinking about whether should, should I go to church today or should I shouldn't, that is a dangerous place to be. Here's another thing that, that's dangerous. If you come to church with no expectation to meet with God, you're drifting. I mean, if you, here's another. If you hear the word of God being spoken to you, and there's no corresponding action in your life. There's no desire for, for obedience that, that you can just, you know, absorb it and then just, you know, throw it away. Jesus said this. He said, if you hear the word and you do it, you're a wise man. He said, if you hear the word and you don't do it, you are foolish. And the problem with foolishness is everybody thinks they're an expert. So backsliding is easy. You don't have to do anything to backslide. But drifting leads to backsliding. Listen to this. People who backslide don't all of a sudden go from loving God to hating God. They go from loving God, ignoring God, neglecting God, forgetting about God, the Bible, prayer, and church. Backsliding is not a matter of love turning to hate. Backsliding is when love turns into neglect. I know it's hardcore. And I know this, but here's the thing. It's easy. It is easy. You know what? It may take you one year before you finally just walk away from God. It may take you five years. It may take you ten years but if you don't have a word life, 
If you don't have a prayer life, if there's no passion in your heart for Jesus, if there's not any desire to be uh, obedient to what he says for us to do, if you don't want to worship, if you don't come with expectation, you are in danger of drifting farther and farther and farther away. Listen, I don't know what's happening in America, but some people think that coming to church is their, their life, their life uh, jacket. That, that it is what's going to see them through. And the truth is, that's not what's true. We've got to have people. We've, we need to come together to be encouraged. We need to hear the word. We need to worship together. But the truth is, church doesn't even start until you walk out the door. Are you with me? So the first thing that storms cause us to do, it causes us to drift. Here's the second thing. Storms cause us to become desperate. If we're not prepared, we will panic. And most people that I know live in a constant state of panic or crisis. There's some people that think every little small thing that they go through is a crisis. You understand what I'm saying? It's like you know, raising teenagers. Everything is a crisis. They don't have a point of reference to look at what they're going through and say, you know what? This ain't nothing to worry about. Listen, there are some things that we need to be concerned about, but the majority of the things that we're going through are not those. It's important that we understand that, you know, when you get desperate, we tend to panic. You know, when we panic, then we start making bad decisions. I, I love what Mark Twain once said. He said, I have lived a long life and I've had many troubles, most of them which never happened. How much stuff that you have worried about didn't come true in the first place? I mean, how much stuff that had you freaking out I mean, causing you to pan. I mean, if your mind goes from dealing with the issue to, you know, it being, you know, an unsolvable problem or, or, or you, know, uh, you know, incurable disease. You know, some people can sneeze and believe that they've got pneumonia. You know, they make a mountain out of, out of a molehill, right? But the thing that I want you to know is this. Listen, even in relationships, you know, what you go through in relationships, the things that actually happen when, when, actually, when you get hurt are not the most damaging things that you, that you experience. Most of the greater damage occurs by how we respond to what happened to us. Let me ask you a question. When crisis comes, how do you respond? When, when emergencies come, when things begin to fall apart, how do you react and respond? How you react and how you respond is critically important. They will not determine the outcome, but it will determine whether you get out of the mess that you're in or not. So we, the storm causes us to drift. It causes us to become desperate. Now look at how the sailors responded when the storm hit. Keep in mind, the apostle Paul told him, he said, you know what? I, my advice is that we, don't, that we don't sail. It's not going to be good. But you know what? The majority of the people who were actually experts 
when it comes to sailing boats in the ocean, didn't pay attention to the Apostle Paul. They said, you know what? This guy's a criminal. We don't need to listen to him. Who cares what he thinks? But after they wouldn't listen to Paul, they started to sail. You know what happened? The storm hit just like he had predicted. And the sailors, the experts, the experienced men of the sea, they began to throw things overboard. Not just throw things, they began to throw things that were extremely valuable overboard. You know, the Bible says they threw cargo overboard. It says that they threw their tackle overboard. If you read down a little bit farther, they eat one meal and then throw the rest of the food overboard. Not only do they throw the food overboard, they look at the lifeboats, they cut the ropes that had the lifeboats that could possibly save their life. They cut the ropes and they just let the, the lifeboats just float out to sea. They're freaking out. And the last thing they end up doing is throwing themselves in the ocean. Now, that's not how you want to respond when you're going through a hurricane. You know what I'm saying? So they start making bad, they panic. They're freaking out. They're, they're getting desperate. They don't even, they don't have a filter in which they can, or a lens that they're able to view what they're going through, through. And as a result of that, they make bad decisions. And you know what? The same is true about us. Let me ask you a question. I wonder how many things have happened in your life because you acted out of desperation and made some bad decisions that if you would remain calm would have never happened or have been a big deal in the first place. I paused for an amen. It didn't come. It's all good though. Here's the point. Don't throw away things that might end up saving your life. People get mad. People get offended at church. The first thing they do is they stop coming to church. They run away from the very people that God wants to surround them with so that they can weather this storm. And the truth is there are no perfect churches and there's no perfect people. And so when you experience something that is offensive to you, Jesus said this, you know what? It's impossible for offense not to come. So you have to be able to handle offense if you're going to be able to weather the storm. But people get mad. They get upset. And at the end of the day, they leave the very safety net that God surrounded them with because they react and they throw away the very things that God just might use to save their life. And here's the third thing. Storms tend to cause us to drift. They tend to cause us to become desperate. And they cause us to despair look what it says in verse 20 he says when neither the sun or stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging we finally gave up hope man they said what's the use we're not going to make it through this one it's not going to turn around it's not going to work out. I mean, I, 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 I just throw in the towel. I forget it. They said, they have lost all hope. You know, it's been said that people can live 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, and only four seconds without hope. Hope 
is extremely important. So we see that these sailors have the negative mindset. They're thinking, we have nothing to hope. We have nothing to look forward to. Nothing is going to change. We are going to die as a result of the storm that's happening. I want you to listen to that last part. It says, finally, we gave up all hope. You know what? That is exactly where some of you are at this morning. Some of you are ready to throw in the towel. Some of you are ready just to just wipe your hands and just say, forget it all. Some of you, you you've given up on your dreams. You've given up on your marriage. You, you've given up on your family. You've given up on your job. You've given up on these things. And you said, you know what? It's not going to work out. And I'm tired of being disappointed. I'm tired of being discouraged. I'm tired of being distraught. And so we reach a place where we say, you know what? There's no hope. There is no hope. He who has hope has authority. He who has hope has authority. So here's something I want you to write down. I don't know if I put it up here or not. I love this. Sometimes it's the setback that leads to the comeback. Sometimes it's the setback that leads to the comeback. Listen, sometimes a step back is a step forward because when you're able to take a step back, you're able to see the big picture. And that is not how the, these sailors are viewing what they're going through, but it is exactly the way that the Apostle Paul is viewing what he's going through. He understands. He knew it was going to happen. He's not freaking out. He's not, you know, he's not getting overwhelmed. He's not getting desperate. Why? Because he understands whether this ship makes it or not, the Lord is going to be with me. Now, this is important. Here's the last three things quickly. So what do you hold on to in the storm? We talked about how that the storms tend to affect us. They, can, they tend to cause us to drift. They tend to cause us to become desperate. And they tend to, call, uh, to cause us to become discouraged and despaired. So if you're there, what do you need to hold on to in order to make it through the storm? The Apostle Paul wrote, we think that he wrote in Hebrews chapter 6, he says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. The writer of Hebrews says, you know what? We have a hope, the expectation of a favorable future. I don't know how bad it's going to get, and I don't know how long it's going to last, but I know this, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know that God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. And so he says, I have this hope. I have, that is an anchor for my soul. And I love those, those two words that, that says, sure and steadfast. Sure and steadfast. Listen, we can't just freak out and then kind of become, you know, hit and miss people. We need to be consistent. We need to be strong. We need to be sure. And you cannot be that if you don't have the proper anchor on board. Okay? So we saw how the sailors reacted. But the Apostle Paul, if you look at what we read there, the Apostle Paul, he's calm, he's confident, and he's courageous. I mean, what was it that the Apostle Paul had or did that helped him stay under control? The thing that he had was character. Crisis doesn't develop character 
it reveals it. Because if the gospel doesn't work in crisis, it doesn't work at all. But Paul had character. He could, he could, he said, I've been here before. As a matter of fact, you know what the scripture says? Three times he was shipwrecked. A day and a night he was in the sea. Five times he was beaten with 39 stripes. Stoned and left for dead. You know what his attitude was? He's a lot of afflictions. He's like, what, 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 what light afflictions? The beatings, the shipwrecks, the times with no food, the times when people are trying to kill me. He's, these light afflictions that are but for a moment will work out for me a far exceeding great glory. What's your attitude when you stub your toe? I mean, people can stub their toe and backslide. Well, how do you know that? Well, I mean comes out of their math. Amen. So he's got it under control. How? He's got hope. Sure and steadfast. So three anchors, and I'm going to wrap this up. If you're going to hold on and make it through the storm, three anchors you need to have. Number one, the first anchor is the presence of God. It's important for you to understand that when things are falling apart, when you're going through the greatest storm of your life, God's with you. Now, there are times when God is silent, but there's never a time when God is absent. And when you're going through a storm, don't confuse God's silence with God's absence. When you're going through the storm, you have to know that he is with you. We know he's with us. He said, he said go into all the world, preach the gospel, making disciples. Lo, I'm with you, even to the ends of the world. He said, I am a present help in time of trouble. Do you want to know where God's at? God's always in trouble. If you're in trouble and you're a believer, God is with you. He is always in trouble. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I will come to you. I will send you the Holy Spirit to be your helper and your comforter. So when you're going through a storm, you have to be anchored in the fact that, you know what? These circumstances will not determine my destiny. These circumstances didn't come to pass. They didn't come to say they came to pass. So you have to focus on the truth that God's with you. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4. He said, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Did you know that you and God are majority? Everybody on the boat thought Paul was a fool. Everybody on the boat went with the majority. Why? Because these were experienced sailors. They're not going to listen to some preacher. But when you start going through some bad stuff, you can't listen to everybody's opinion. Everybody on the boat had an opinion. Well, I think we should do this, and I think we should do that. And I know what I'm saying. I'm like, your opinion of 50 Cent will buy you a cup of coffee. That's it. 
But everybody's got an opinion. And sometimes the majority is wrong. God spoke to Paul. Even though he was the only one there that knew what was going to happen and how it was going to take place and how they were going to get through it, Paul and God were a majority. Sometimes you just have to outlive your critics. People's opinion about you is irrelevant. People are fickle. There'll be a time, listen, there's been many, many times. I've sat down, I've done counseling and, you know, um, talking with some folks. And they said, you know, I hear I've got these issues and blah, 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 blah. And so I give them some advice. Knowing they're not going to listen to anything that I got through saying. Well, I just feel better to get it off your chest. Well, look, just you know, go, go to somebody else to get it off your chest. I thought you wanted some solutions. I don't want you to miss this. I'm not about to cuss. What I call them are ask holes. A-S-K. Ask holes. You know what an ask hole is? Somebody that comes to you for advice and counsel and don't go do anything that you told them to do. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be an asshole. <laughs> Can you handle that? He says, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss among you, but only the ship, for there stood by me this night an angel of God, whom I belong and whom I serve. Paul is saying, you know what? The Lord is with me. You know, the psalmist wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. When you and God are on the same page, everybody else's opinion on what needs to be done and how it's going to work out is irrelevant. Amen. Here's the second anchor. If you're going to make it through the worst storms of your life, you've got to have the presence of God and you have to have the purpose of God. Look at verse 24. He said, this angel stood by me and he said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all of those who sail with you. Listen, having a sense of purpose and destiny is critical if you're going to per persevere through hard times. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I was at the verge of, of giving up and quitting, of resigning, of just throwing in the towel and saying, you know what, I'm done with this. But having a sense of purpose and destiny helps you to persevere through the issues and the struggles that you're going through. Listen, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't focused on the storm. He was focused on the purpose you know, Paul, he allowed the storm to help bring clarity to everybody on the boat. The storm, the wind, the waves only sealed what he already believed and knew that regardless of what happens in this season or in this moment, God's purpose will prevail because God said, I am going to go and appear before Caesar. And so when you have the, the, the proper 
focus, you understand purpose and destiny, then you're able to shake some of this stuff off and continue to persevere. Here's a good statement. Always remember when you go through a storm, measure the size of your obstacle to the size of your dream. When, when you are going through a storm, when it looks like it's not going to work out, measure the size of your obstacle to the size of your dream. You see, your, your, your problem is an indicator of your promise. And as God begins to take you through these things, always look at what you're going through in light of what God has given you and the dream that he's put in your heart. We can either surrender to our circumstances or we can surrender to a cause that's greater than our circumstances. And when you're going through stuff that's so overwhelming, if you don't have something that's bigger than your circumstance, you're going to give up and quit. I want them to come to, come to the music. I'm going to finish up. If you're going through something that's extremely difficult right now, just know that God's not changed his mind. God's not washed his hands from you. God is deeply committed to you, so much so that he says, you know what, be confident in this one thing that he that began a good work will finish that work. But if you don't have a sense of purpose, if you're not actively pursuing knowing what God's purpose is for your life, you're going to end up in a place where you're going to surrender because it's just too much. But God's going to bring you through. Here's the last thing. The third anchor that we need to hold on to is the promise of God. I love this. Verse 24. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as he told me. What was Paul saying? He said, you know what? What I'm going through right now is not going to take me out. If the devil could have killed me, he already would have. And he says, you know what? Whether this boat makes it or whether it doesn't. Whether I have to sail or whether I have to swim. Whether you're going with me or you're not going with me, it will be as the Lord has said. Now I feel that in my spirit. Some of you, you've, you've seen things begin to crumble and fall apart. And you've cared, you've been pregnant with the promise. And to make it through what you're dealing with, you have to hold on to that promise. The Bible says through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. But every time God gives us a promise, just like the children of Israel, every time God gives us a promise, He brings us through a season to where what God had promised, the exact opposite is what actually happens. The children of Israel, God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
and he parted the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land and they cross over. And three days after they have on the other side, heading toward the promised land, they were promised a land flowing with milk and But for the first three days, there was not a drop of water to drink. And you know what? They started complaining. Just three days after the greatest, most miraculous exodus, after they saw the waters part as they walked across on dry land, three days on the other side of that, they're saying, I wish we were back in Egypt and I think we need to kill our leader. I mean, that is an accurate portrayal of leadership. Leadership is always, what have you done for me lately? But the Bible says the promised land was an 11-day journey. And what I want you to understand about that is that if the children of Israel were to be so completely obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit to take them into the promised land, it would have still taken 11 days. But what you need to hold on to is this. The pathway to the promised land always leads to the wilderness. The pathway, if you do everything right, there's going to be a wilderness experience. And it's going to be a season in your life when what you thought was going to happen, the exact opposite happens. God give Joseph a dream, right? And he says, you know what, I'm going to be a king. The stars are going to bow down to me. My, my family's going to bow down to me. But you know what, 24 hours before God turned it around, he couldn't have been farther from the palace. But it took him 13 years to get prepared to rule and reign in the palace. And when Joseph was prepared, in 24 hours, he went from being prisoner to prime minister of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. See, when, when we get whatever is in us out of us, because that's what the wilderness does, the wilderness tends to bring the best out of us and the worst out of us. We're the one who does the choosing. But the children of Israel, they come. There's no water for them to drink for three days. They finally come to a place called Mara, which is where water was available. But there was a problem with the water. The water was bitter. I mean, why would God do that to somebody? You know what I'm saying? I've been slaved for 400 years. I mean, why, why, you would think that, you know, that, that God would just you know, flip a switch and boom, there it is. That's almost like a cruel trick. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it almost looks like it's cruel. I haven't had anything to drink in the place that we come. We can't drink the water because it's so bitter. But God speaks to Moses. He said, throw the stick in the water. And when he threw the stick in the water, the water went from bitter to sweet. What was God saying? God was saying, you know what? I brought you to bitter waters because that's what's in your heart. Egypt has made you bitter. But when Moses throws the stick symbolic of the cross he said you know what I can turn bitter water into sweet water some of you stand with me you're dealing with some bitter water 
And that bitter water has caused you to become disgusted with everything. You've experienced letdown after letdown. Disappointment out of disappointment. Failure to failure. And God says, I brought you here today to let you know I can turn bitter water into sweet water if you just come to the cross. The cross changes everything. But Paul says, take heart, for I believe it will be just as God told me. It's going to happen. God's going to, it's going to be all right. Now look at these last verses up here, 43 and 44. The ship falls apart, okay? And so the soldier says to the prisoners, he says, those of you that can swim, jump out and swim to shore. This is pretty incredible. He said, those of you that can't swim, grab a plank. Grab a piece of this broken vessel and hold on. Listen, sometimes a broken piece of a ship is a lot better than a ship that's put together that ends up sinking in the ocean. God was fulfilling his promise. He said, you know what? If you can't swim, grab a plank. If it's too much for you, grab a plank. If you can't handle the waves, grab a plank. If you can't handle the wind, grab a plank. If you can't handle the cold, grab a plank. If you can't handle the current, grab a plank. Just hold on because that plank will either become a prison that you die in or it will become a surfboard that you will catch a wave that will take you safely to the shore. Some of you, you're sinking. You've threw away your, your, your life preserver. You've allowed the shipwreck that you experienced to cause you to say, what's the use? I thank God Paul wasn't that way. Three times he said, thrice I suffered shipwreck. But you know what? You don't learn how to be a great sailor by, by sailing on calm seas. Bow your heads with me for a moment. I believe with all of my heart that God gave me this message this morning because some of you are drifting. You think you're okay. You think that it's going... It's going well, but you're, you're drifting. The current is taking you farther and farther and farther away. And this is how you know if you're drifting farther away, you lose heart. You start going through the motion. You just kind of show up. You, you, you don't have any passion, any zeal, any desire to be obedient. You have no expectation. You've settled for worthless religious activities instead of true, genuine passion for Jesus. Some of you, you're on the verge of backsliding and you don't even know it. Some of you, your life is like the boat. It's falling apart and it's about to sink. 
and you're about ready to give up the apostle Peter, he knew what it was like to sink. And some of you, you're just like him. Jesus is walking on the water. And when Peter saw Jesus, he said, Jesus, is that you? He said, bid me to come. Jesus said, come. And as he stayed focused on Jesus, he was able to walk on what everybody else would sink in. But the Bible says, you know what? Storm came. The winds began to, to, to blow and the waves began to crash. And, and he got distracted of, with what was going on around him. And the Bible says that he got, he started sinking. Some of you, you're starting to sink. And God is saying, you need to be like Peter. The tragedy wasn't that Peter was sinking. The tragedy would have been that Peter didn't know that he was sinking and didn't know that he was in need of somebody to come and rescue him because he feels like he's got it under control. But once Peter realized that, you know what? I'm going to drown if something doesn't happen. He says a three-word prayer. He says, Lord, save me. And the Bible says Jesus immediately picked him up out of the water and put him in the boat. But you'll never call on Jesus until you understand and see yourself as a sinking vessel. I told you this morning, I said, you know what? The harvest is connected to the crisis. All of the people, the sailors thought they were going to die, but the truth is, God used Paul to save all of them. Maybe the crisis that's going on in your life is the very thing that God wants to use to save you. Maybe you're going through a storm and you're starting to drift and you're starting to get desperate and you're starting to give up all hope. God sent me here this morning to say, listen, hold on. I'll give you my presence. I've given you purpose and I'm giving you a promise. If you're here this morning and you don't have 100% assurance that things are right between you and God, that if you were to die today, and be thrust out into eternity, you are unsure whether you would go to heaven or whether you would go to hell. I hear a lot of people saying sometimes, listen, you shouldn't question your salvation. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says make your calling and election sure. You better know and know that you know. And if you do not know with 100% assurance, you need to do business from God. How many would say, you know what? I don't know whether I go to heaven or not. I'm unsure. Would you lift your hand and say, that's me? I'm unsure. How many of you would say, you know what? I'm going through the greatest storm of my life. And today God's speaking to me. And he's come to comfort and to help and to strengthen. As they sing and as they play, God spoke to you through this. If you need personal prayer, if you need encouragement. If there's anything that you need, we're going to be right here to pray with you, okay? Amen.